0: Namaste, and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast, where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny, the host of the Modern Mystic podcast. And today I am over the moon, Neptune, Venus, and all celestial bodies associated with music. Because this conversation is with one of my favorite musicians on the planet and most inspiring of yogis, Krishna Das. Krishna Das has been called yoga's rock star. Layering traditional kirtan with instantly accessible melodies and modern instrumentation with a remarkably soulful voice that touches the deepest chord in even the most casual listener. Krishnadas, known to friends, family, and fans as simply KD. Has taken the call and response chanting out of yoga centers and into concert halls, becoming a worldwide icon and the best selling Western chant artist of all time. His album, Live Ananda, released January 2012, was nominated for a Grammy in the Best New Age Album category. KD spent the late 60s traveling across the country as a student of Ramdas. And in August 1970, he finally made the journey to India, which led him to Ramdas's own beloved guru, Neem Karoli Baba, known to most as Maharaji. Given the name Krishnadas, KD began to chant as part of following the path of bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion. And two and a half years with Maharaji returned to the U.S., but alas, six months after his return... Word came that Maharaji had left his body. He took solstice in music, finding peace and strength in both his bhakti yoga practice, as well as in such heroes as Ray Charles, Van Morrison, Steely Dan, and Bruce Springsteen. KD also co-founded Tree Loco Records, a California-based label specializing in world music, releasing such artists as Jaya Uttal, Sacred Virtuoso Ali Abar Khan, and legendary jazz musician-composer Jackie McLean. In 1994, KD started leading chants at Jiva Mukti Yoga Center in New York City with an ever-growing audience of yoga students, and that's where I first encountered his amazing work. And that led him to chant with people all over the world. In February 2013, Krishnadas performed at the Grammy Awards in L.A., which was streamed online to millions of viewers. The award-winning film, One Track Heart, the story of Krishnadas, has been in over 100 cities in this country of the United States and over 10 countries worldwide and is available on DVD everywhere. It's a fantastic film. So, Krishnadas, welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast.
1: Thank you. Boy, that was quite an introduction. I'd like to meet that guy.
0: <laughs> well, you've had quite a, a life and there's are such a, a Hatha heavy hitter. So, Krishnadas, being a modern mystic, I think, means something different to each individual and seeker. And so I like to ask each of my guests this question, what does it mean to you to be a modern mystic?
1: Hmm. Being a mystic is a way of saying someone who is connected to a deeper reality, a reality that's deeper than our worldly day-to-day type of life. And when you are connected to something deeper, uh, it changes the way you live in the world. It changes the way you see people and see yourself and interact and it changes everything the deeper you are connected. So a mystic would be somebody who is connected to that greater love, a deeper love that includes everything, having a heart as wide as the world, so to speak that transcends the, our, our, our ideas about ourself and includes others in our own heart and our own being.
0: Mm, so, so lovely. I love that. A heart as wide as the world. Mm.
1: I, I stole that, I stole that title from Sharon Salzberg, who <laughs> <laughs> wrote an incredible book about her uh, meditation practice. Uh, she's my good, very, very old friend. And so, of course, I asked her. She said that was fine. <laughs> Art as wide as the world. It's a beautiful concept, huh?
0: Beautiful concept. And she was on my podcast recently, episode 20. So viewers and listeners can listen to her because she is so brilliant and lovely and steep and so much wisdom. And that's so funny because I was like, I definitely heard that. And since you said it, I thought it was you. How we can you know, have wisdom from all those we keep company with. So important, keeping that good company. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned in your amazing bio, you're internationally famous for your beloved music, which definitely has its roots in the Indian sacred music known as chanting, And we'll play from some of it in a little bit so our listeners can soak in its profundity and experience it for themselves. But I'd love to initiate our conversation talking about the power of music and the power of words and how we can use them to connect to the divine within and without. So could you speak please to our listeners about essentially how chanting works and why it's such a profound practice?
1: I'll try. <laughs> um, the chanting that I do, I came across it when I went to India and it's called Nama Sankirtan, which means the repetition of the names of God. And India and in the East, for the most part, they, they understand there's only one God but it can be called by any name, many names, many forms. It takes all forms and and can be called by many names. So there's a practice that's a very ancient practice, which is the repetition of those names. Now, the reason it's a spiritual practice is because, not necessarily religious practice, by the way, but spiritual, meaning it brings you into your own true nature and it doesn't demand that you believe something on blind faith. That's not part of this at all. It's your own experience that's the most important. Doing these chants over time will definitely change the way we sit in our own hearts, in our own being. So this practice is repetition of these names over and over with as much attention as you can muster, because that's the other thing. Once you start doing a practice, you begin to notice how much of the time you're just completely not present at all. You're just lost in dreamland, reacting blindly out of things and not paying any attention at all, really, to what's going on. So we add a practice to our lives which brings something, a place to come back to, to bring ourselves home again and again and again and again. We are so habituated to to being immersed in sense information from the so-called outside that we don't feel ever our own true self, our own sense of being. So through this practice, we're gradually moved more deeply into that place in ourselves. The music is, you know, when a kid is sick and has to take some medicine, usually you hide that medicine in a sweet syrup. So in this case, the syrup is the music, but the medicine, what's going to cure us of our illness, is the name, is through what we are singing. And it's, it's the fun and the sweetness of the music that allows us and helps us to get more present and pay more attention. But it's the repetition of the name that they say is what's going to free us from our suffering and our limitations.
0: Mm, that's such a beautiful analogy. I love that the syrup is music and sweetness and the cure is within that, like medicine. And now is that you? Did you say that for real? <laughs> Could be. You
2: never
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so brilliant and so accessible. So thank you for for that wisdom and that analogy. And I love too how you talked about because it really is my experience how the chanting acts like a mirror. And so by continually Bringing yourself, as you articulated so eloquently, back home to yourself, capital S, again and again, then the words and, you know, within the music act like this mirror, and you get to see, like, where your mind really is, where it really goes, like you said, if you're daydreaming, you're, if you're obsessing, like, all the things, both. You know, easeful yeah. ways the mind is and, and then for a lot of us mostly more challenging ways. Yeah. But in that we become empowered because then we actually see what's happening. It's like this big spotlight, like, oh, this is where my mind is and what it's doing. And then and only then can we take full responsibility for our lives and then make shifts when we know what's happening within our mind.
1: Yeah. And and when we do notice that we're so called gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it's the practice that we that gives us something to come back to rather than just get lost again
2: mm-hmm. right
1: away. But even when we do come back to the practice, we get lost almost immediately. You know, it's very hard to pay attention. It's very hard to be here, really present. And for most people, that's a very difficult concept because you think, what do you mean? I'm here, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm here, aren't I? So, yeah, but... it's much deeper. That's, it's, it's something that's experiential. It's not something that's to be necessarily thought about so much. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's, it's, it's when you feel it, you know, as Bob Marley says, he who feels it knows it, Lord.
2: Mm -hmm. When you
1: feel it, and then it starts to really work for you.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Excellent. That's so good. And it is in relationship to what's called Nada Yoga, correct? which my understanding is like the yoga of sound or vibration. And I was taught that this concept really holds the idea that energy is made up of vibrations rather than of matter and particles, which now science has caught up to this Indian wisdom, and that vibration is sort of the building block of the cosmos. And vibrations and resonances are also used to really pursue palliative effects on various problematic psychological and spiritual conditions through the power of sound so do you think of it that way like as a, a nadi yoga practice or what was your your training or <laughs> wisdom
1: everything you say is true i mean there is a a, pre, a science of with nadi yoga which is the yoga of sound vibration and everything is true everything is vibration everything that we even think is solid is actually vibrating
2: mm-hmm.
1: um But for me, the practice is about love Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and the practice is about removing and and untying the knots in my own heart that prevent me from being, being who I want to be, who I know I could be, who I want to be in the world and with other people and prevent me from feeling that love myself. We've all been through lots of traumas. All of our hearts have been broken and we've all been hurt and we carry that stuff with us and those traumas and those knots in our heart, they that's what prevents us from being happy
2: mm-hmm. and, and
1: feeling loved. So for me, the practice is about, because these names are the names of that love that is not outside of us it's it's our own true nature it's who we are underneath all the things we think we are so by the repetition of the name gradually but inevitably that presence within us is uncovered it's already we have it we are it already but we're not paying attention we're not able to we don't know where to look or how to look so for me it's more about that but of course Vibration and and sound, there's a a whole science about that for sure.
0: Well, I love that beautiful metaphor of the knots because in yoga, the way I was taught was there's these knots for our listeners called the grunties. And like Krishnadas is saying, they're literally like these energetic knots as he spoke of. So... Eloquently, of just from trauma, from different challenges and different karmas. It said from this lifetime, from other lifetimes, and and the chanting works as other practices do to help loosen and unfurl those knots. Now I'm wondering, Kd, some of our listeners are probably thinking, "But I don't have a good voice." But this doesn't matter, does it? Or could you speak to these folks? Not
1: at all. No, no. Who
0: might feel insecure or reticent about this?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, we have to get over that. It's not about music and it's not about having a good voice. It's about wanting to be free. Mm. It's about recognizing that so much more is possible for us in life. And uh the practice like I said if it was about music then every musician in the universe would already be enlightened. <laughs> and it's obvious, or happy even, and it's not the case. So it's not it's not that the music's important, it's it's the repetition of the name, either out loud, silently, uh, mentally, you know, there's there's no, we do this, one part of, the, one way of doing the practice is getting together in a group of people and, you know, singing together, we do like call and response, but it, but it doesn't matter how you sound, uh, to yourself or anybody else. What matters is that you re- you pay attention to the sound of the name. And as soon as you notice that you're not, you haven't been paying attention, you come back. And that's the whole practice. It's very simple and it's not easy.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's easy to do, but not easy to, uh, we can't grab to the sound. We can only come back to it when we when we notice we're gone, and um, so we shouldn't be shy about not having a good voice. Um, even people with good voices, that can be a, a barrier because they get caught thinking how beautiful I sound and this I can really sing good and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, which is more just ego stuff. So it's about this is a spiritual practice. This is a, a heart practice. It's not a It's not for entertainment or pleasing sounds. It's not about that.
0: Mm, Beautiful, right? It's about, as you said earlier, just the experience of your heart. And that's why it's a spiritual practice. And I love how you said it's not something to believe in. You just try it and experience what the effect is for yourself. And then like meditation or other practices, you you can build it, right? Like a muscle, like that attention. Is it your experience with people you work with? And hear about, like, when you start and then keep going with it and don't give up on it, that capacity to return again and again to the name, to the name, and the duration that you can increase that awareness with the name in the present moment expands, yeah?
1: Absolutely. You develop a letting go muscle. Mm. (laughs) You know, uh, we're we're not taught to let go of stuff. We're taught to hold on, you know, and to grab and to be attached and to be uh in the world in a certain kind of way um and what we don't have is 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 this little used muscle this letting go muscle because letting go is not pushing away by the way that's a completely different thing letting go is just releasing and coming home and you release and you are home it's not so you know, you're, you're sitting there chanting, and then you start to remember, you know, okay, right after this is over, I'm going to go go get some food, maybe I'll get this and that, you know. And that can go on for 10 minutes, you know, and then you go, oh. And then you realize you've been gone. Even while you've been singing, even while, been, even while there's been a 1,000 people singing around you, <laughs> you know, you've been gone. And the minute you notice that, you're already back. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, you rededicate yourself to the, to, to, to the sound that of the chanting. And that might last a whole second <laughs> before <laughs> you're gone again. So you're constantly waking up and coming back, waking up and coming back. And, and over time, they've proven there's a, a neural pathway in the brain that's deepened through the repetition of coming, of paying attention uh, again and again and again.
0: Mm, I love that.
1: And that letting go, that releasing, that will go on during the day by itself. You get used to not being so lost. You get used to feeling more at ease and more at home, eventually regardless of what's going on out there. And so it allows us to be much more functional because we're present, and we can make decisions and we can see things more clearly and our our the way we see things is less colored by our own subjective uh, stuff.
0: Mm. It's so helpful the way you put all of that, and just for our listeners, that neural pathway in the brain that's literally of the material world in your gross body, you know, that's so real. And so as Krishnas is saying, then you go back into your life and what you've practiced in your practices. Like I always think of that as the the training. And then life is like the actual marathon, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And it's so beautiful how you put it. Thank you so much. i love to now have our listeners settle into a slice of... Your incredible music and this audio divinity. Oh, okay. And this one was a duet with the luminous, none other than Sting. bhakti beautiful your music takes me right to those liminal spaces now for those listeners who have never heard of this practice or are new to it can you speak a little more about the name as you put it and these different names often in sanskrit of indian gods and goddesses and how they can really be this portal and pathway into our hearts as wide as the world and into our spirituality and mysticism. And then particularly if we have another path, religion, or perhaps don't know if we even quote unquote believe in anything specifically at all. Because in my experience at least, these names really cite the most like quintessential aspect of of self with a capital S and like the wisest, biggest, purest state of awareness has been my experience of how I feel. Mm-hmm. So that's how I think of them. But would you mind f- describing sure. this, how you think of them for our listeners, especially who you know is new to this practice?
1: Well, first of all, uh, this practice is not just from India or Tibet or uh, uh, other places. The, the repetition of these sounds or these names are different in every culture, and many different religions and spiritual practices center around the repetition of the name. In their own culture, you know. Mm, totally. Uh, in, our, in this culture, we look up in the sky and we see that yellowish-orange ball up there and we say, oh, sun. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the world, they call it something different, but it's the same sun. hmm So in that sense, all of these names are describing the ultimate reality, which is the same, which is everything all the time, always has been, always will be but there are many ways to approach it. And um, so for me, we I started chanting in India when I first heard it. I, I'd always been looking for something that I could do, really give myself to 100% because I was so neurotic that I really couldn't enjoy things and really I couldn't really let myself go into something you know and when I first heard the chanting in India I went oh wow and I knew every part of me every molecule knew this is for me I could do this and by the way it wasn't that I was trying to collect stuff to bring back to America you know I when I went to India I I never thought I was coming back to America (laughs) I had left and given everything away sold my car my guitar everything wow uh, so but when I heard the chanting I went oh my this is I can this is great I can do and then I just wherever there was chanting going on I went and just sat there and absorbed you know try to sing along if I could but at first I didn't know the words you know And gradually, since I had been, I stayed in India two and a half years at that time. Amazing. And uh, over that time, I, you know, I got much more familiar with things and I started to learn the actual names and and how to, and what to sing and all that. So, um, but for me, once again, my guru, Neem Kuroli Baba, is pure love, 24-7-365. Nothing but love, only love. And being with him opened me up to the experience of a a different way of seeing myself and feeling about myself and about the world. So he loved to hear chanting, so we started the group of Westerners there. We we started chanting to him and it it was always an incredible experience. And so when I chant now, it moves me deeper into that loving presence, which is how I see him now, as this, you know, huge, vast, loving space. And, uh, of course, everything is in it. Everyone is in it. And uh, so when I sing, that, that's... I'm not necessarily singing to him, as that guy in a blanket so to speak but i'm singing as a way of deepening this presence this wonderful feeling of love and being and so or as ramdas used to say loving awareness mm. so um it's really that's what it's about for me it's not about believing anything it's not about joining anything it's not about wearing certain kinds of clothes or looking a certain way, you know. It's about finding that love inside of ourselves.
0: So illuminative. People can really orient with their intention and their thoughts when they're chanting, Know who and what they're chanting about or to. They can use their minds, like if they have a certain religion or I mean, I have friends whose religion is, you know, the mountains, and going to the mountains is their religion. There's so many ways that the chanting can really be open to one's own intentions within themselves as they sing, yeah?
1: Definitely. But remember, what makes this a spiritual practice is that once you start chanting, anything that you're thinking, anything that... Takes you out of the chanting or away from paying attention to the sound of the chant, that is to be let go of Mm
2: -hmm. and to
1: just come back home to the chant. But we are so used to to thinking that we are thinking Mm -hmm.
2: and believing
1: everything we think that it's very hard at first for people. (laughs) But but when you recognize that that the real essence of suffering is comes from our thoughts and emotions then you begin to see the the need to be able to release those things and once again not push away but simply release and through over time through practice uh, you begin to get a sense of what this is about i didn't sing with people for 21 years after Maharaji died
0: wow i did not after know that 21 yeah. years
1: mm-hmm You think I'm stubborn?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What sign in Western astrology are you, or or what's your moon, Uh, rather, as well? The
1: stupid, the stupid sign. That's what it is. The
0: stupid Um, (laughs) sign.
1: So, because I was uh, very self-destructive, a lot of negative stuff, and when he left the body, I I really lost it. But the Mm. point is, 21 years later, I had an epiphany. That if I did not sing with people, I would never clean out the dark shadows in my own heart. It was clear to me that this was the only way that I had that was being given to me, offered to me. This was this was what I could do. And if I didn't do it, it was not going to get better. Because I was very depressed at that time, very unhappy. Mm. Mm. So I was forced to do it. Because I knew that this is the only way I could save myself.
0: I appreciate so much your being so authentic, which is, you know, your signature way of being, which is so much of why I...
1: I, I've tried to be everybody else and failed. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I have a hard time picturing you trying to be everybody else, but that's okay. (laughs) You do you Uh, you so well now. When I first started
1: (laughs) chanting, I you know, I wore the black t-shirts and i i wanted to be the hell's angel of chanting (laughs) you know but i got over that but you know i wasn't really ready just to be me you know
0: right right that's so sweet that's just vulnerable offering you who who uh has been on the grammy stage my 16 year old was like what (laughs) Hmm. and so grateful you stepped into fully who you are by letting go of who you thought you wanted to be so thank you for that bravery because it's benefited so many people, including myself. And chanting is just, I feel like it's such a powerful practice. And I really am so grateful for this conversation because a lot of people have trouble meditating. And I feel like meditation, you know, in the last couple decades, particularly, I mean, I've been meditating since I was five and grew up in a house of meditators and yogis. But I feel like, you know, then when I was a child, it was very fringe. We're now, you know, quote-unquote mindfulness, meditation practices, I feel like are much more in the mainstream. But chanting, I feel like, is still more on the fringe. And I feel like students and friends, and I had owned a studio for a long time, when people get exposed to chanting, a lot of people are like, whoa, Like this is something that actually either A, I can do, where meditation is driving me batty and nuts, and takes me to that space that people say meditation takes you to, or it can help support meditation practice and work in tandem. So can you speak about chanting as like a main squeeze practice? And then also the idea that it's really part of what my understanding is a path called bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion, and what that means to you.
1: Yeah. First of all, chanting is meditation. Let's get that straight. Fabulous. Um, mindfulness meditation is, is called vipassana, and it comes from the Buddhist tradition. I've done a lot of that over the years. Many times, I've taken courses and sat for ten days doing vipassana and metta, loving-kindness meditation, as well as Sharon Salzberg teaches. This is also meditation. You know, people have the wrong idea of meditation, which is why we suffer when we're trying to meditate we're trying to grab the mind and hold it still
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: it's not going to ever be possible. And eventually maybe you'll get so tired of trying to do that, that you'll trip and fall into a real meditative practice. Mm -hmm. But chanting is meditation. Most definitely there's just life, you know, and how do we live a good life? How do we become good human beings? That's what's important. Not, temporal, the ever-changing states of mind, you know. For that, you can take a drug. It's much easier. So, but for finding out how to become and transforming ourselves into kind, caring, compassionate human beings, that takes a little bit of understanding, you know, what's really important in life. And also with Vipassana, the way, and mindfulness meditation, the way it's presented these days, people have the... Uh, fantasy that oh yeah i can do this i'm going to sit down and meditate myself right to enlightenment but Mm. number one they don't know what enlightenment is and number two they think they are going to be enlightened and that's not the case because they means ego and ego is what has to disappear for enlightenment to show itself so it's very subtle but when we chant we don't give a shit about any of that we're just singing And that's having just a strong effect, if not more, especially in that moment and especially in the way of planting a seed in our minds, in our hearts of reality. So, and because we don't think we're going to try, we don't suffer from that. But most people who try to do mindfulness, they have such a heavy duty egoistic sense of themselves, you know, I'm a meditator, you know, that's just another ego pose.
2: You mm-hmm. know?
1: So you come and you sing, then you go home. You had a great time, your things happened, you might not have even notice the different states of mind you pass through because you're just enjoying. And it's very subtle stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you said that chanting is meditation. And that's so, so real for me. Because like you said, it fully establishes you in the present moment it connects you to who you are at your essence fully and then for me my state is always shifted like no matter what towards more kindness compassion effulgence you know all of it all the grounding stuff all the centering stuff all the good stuff And yeah, just for our listeners, Vipassana, as Krishna said, is steeped in the Tibetan tradition and the Burmese tradition. Just to give that a shout out and contextualize that, um, because so much, as Krishna said as well, you know, in the way of semantics that we're interfacing with these days is, you know, meditation and the styles and mindfulness and Vipassana and this and that. But really, they're, they're all different paths to one home. Just like chanting in the home is, as KD so beautifully is
1: articulating,
0: that field of love, that field of love.
1: Yeah, you know, um, there was that little known saint that said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm. And the question is, how do we get the strength to do that? Because we're not programmed for that by this by this culture especially Western culture. We're not, pro, we're not programmed for that. We're programmed to look after ourselves and the next, our family, and then, you know. But we're not programmed to really care about others in a certain kind of way. And that's the way to, the, that's, that's the result, that will be the result of not thinking about yourself all the time. But once again, training has to go on for that to manifest. We we can't imagine that we can just keep going on thinking about ourselves as the most important thing in the universe uh, and really ever find any kind of peace of mind or any kind of love or any kind of happiness mm. that will last.
0: Mm. So, so... Beautiful and really, really true. And as you said, especially as Westerners, a couple of things that I want to highlight for our listeners that you said, yeah, that it is so individualistic and self-centered in a certain respect. And another thing that was really profound, and I think in conjunction and in tandem with that thought is how you said we're not really taught to let go, like how we're taught collectively, most of us, right? We've been taught since childhood in the dogma of clinging and holding on and how the practice of chanting can really help us release and let go so we can come back to our essential nature so we can come back to the heart and and it's tricky you know particularly because i feel like as a culture all the success and like you said the ego tendencies and you know I see it with my own three kids like different things they're taught in school it's like then they come home and it's like right but remember the the monks who make the mandalas like we made an igloo recently with all the snow here on the east coast and we were you know and as it started to dissipate and there were some tears it's like right no but we have to practice letting go practice letting go yeah that can feel really, really scary. Why do you think that can feel scary? And do you ever have people who come and chant with you that then share that they felt any fear that came up within the chanting because they sense this letting go? Because when I, when I chant with you, people just look ecstatic and blissful and this and that, but I'm ecstatic and blissful and you're leading the way. And so I don't hear, Mm -hmm. you know, it just occurred to me. Yeah. Could you speak to that?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. People, a lot of people break down crying because some emotion arose that was some memory that was painful, or what else can you do but cry when you when you finally realize that you found a way to come home?
2: Mm. You found the
1: road that will lead you home. You, there's nothing but it's like you just melt down with gratitude and tears because you feel, wow, I finally found the road home, you know? And, and there is fear involved. Sometimes people are very afraid of, to let go. But there's no... Uh, no one pushing anybody. <laughs> you know, nobody's saying you got to do this. you got to do it this way. And you got to accomplish this. No, come sing, go home and be stupid. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it really doesn't matter. You just come and you do your practice and you live your life and the practice will change your life. You don't have to have a big ego trip about making myself a better person,
2: <laughs> but
1: one must deal with one's issues. And the ability to let go and the ability to start to unwind and uncover some of those wounds, the ability to do that, and the strength and the courage to do that, is, is the fruit of doing these these practices.
0: Mm. Let's put it that way. So so helpful. I love that. And really, the chanting practice is like a balm, and I've experienced myself really how it can transform a lot of pain into peace and that's like magic right there's no mental trip about that that we can like you know say to the listeners a plus b plus c but that is like something that's really magical about the practice wouldn't you say
1: and no one's doing it to you either it's it's coming from you and you're doing it You know, there's no manipulation, there's no coercion, there's no buying and selling going on, you know. (laughs) Uh, And when I sing, of course, I'm not trying to make anything happen for anybody else, Uh, even myself. I'm just singing, I'm doing my practice, Mm -hmm. and I'm sharing that practice. And that allows people to do their practice Mm. and not feel that they need to feel something, you know, like... One of the subtle things that goes on in in formal meditation practices is that you have a meditation period and you sit down and then at the end you start ah nothing happened you know shit I'll never I can't do this or the opposite wow I had a couple of really good moments there that was great and this is not required this is not you know you sing and then you you let your life it's the proper way to meditate. Without expectation, so to speak.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Because the the boon of all of it is the state of your heart and who you really become in this world, as you said. Yeah. Through the power of the practices. So, such an important point. Thank you so much. And this seems like an opportune time to settle into some more delicious and sweet music of yours. Let's do that. It just takes one directly into one's heart space. A heart as wide as the world space. (laughs) Goals. So, so lovely. I wanted to see if you'd be willing to talk a little bit more specifically about the terms, chanting, kirtan, just to ensure we're not completely culturally appropriating and also for the listeners because there'll be so many people listening who aren't familiar with this practice potentially or haven't had a lot of experience with it and kirtan i was taught meant to cut through like that was one translation that i've always kept in my mind because for me i love that translation because it's that idea that it cuts through the bs that we're actually separate from the divine universal you know god goddess whatever you want to call it but could you please elucidate these terms, chanting and kirtan, and what your understanding is, the meaning of them, and if they're different, or how you think of them?
1: For me, kirtan means the repetition of singing, chanting of the divine names, of the names of God, out loud with people. But it's not the only way to do it. You can, you can do what they call japa, which means the quiet repetition of the name, mentally, or just whispering very low. And as far as cultural appropriation, we have a very narrow view of that generally. Mm-hmm. All cultures in this world have, been, have received these teachings from beings who are beyond all cultures. Mm. And the only reason these teachings were given was to help people. And if I didn't practice what I was given in India by these great beings that would be just slapping them in the face they gave these teachings to help me and to help us and there's no sense of cultural anything here these teachings are supposed to be spread to all because they can help everybody who does them so you know at least on this about spiritual practice i don't think there's any issues of cultural this or that
0: Mm mm-hmm hmm that's such a great perspective and such an important one because it is a big conversation I hear about a lot you know and having owned a studio too it's like a buzz topic like oh are we culture-appropriating and there are important aspects to that but at the same time I love your perspective which is really my perspective <laughs> it's meant for as many people as possible
1: absolutely and in fact it was given to different people in different places at different times It doesn't belong to any culture. It belongs to human beings.
2: Mm.
1: All beings, not just human beings, all beings.
2: Yeah.
1: But you know, these days, everybody's angry about something. It's a very difficult time.
2: Yeah.
1: Angry and scared. Yeah. Defensive and judgmental. It's very, very hard, especially in the pandemic times. People are getting eaten up by their minds and emotions, and it's understandable. People have not spent any time working on themselves that way and, and understanding that thoughts and emotions come and go. That's not who we are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so because people haven't done any practice, they don't even know it's possible to deal with those negative states of mind in any, mm-hmm. in a positive way. So it's a very painful time for people, very painful.
0: Yeah, so true. So you just
1: have to keep breathing and, you know, hopefully things will calm down, but, you know, one never knows what the future has to offer. So mm. one, if one feels called to do practice, one should do it now and not wait. Because when, sooner or later, one has to do something. Yeah. And if one doesn't do something, one will never experience the kind of life that is possible to live, a good life in a good way with, with people and, and in the world, with a heart full of love and compassion and strength and ability to help others. hmm So, and not just be victimized by our own stuff. Forget about what's happening out there, but it's our reactions to what's happening that is causing the suffering, mm. as well as the physical realities.
0: Yeah so profound so profound and i just want to highlight what you said about not waiting like so often people get to a place in crisis and if you're in crisis yes it's totally a good time to start integrating practices for sure mm-hmm. but so often when life is you know more easeful or we're coasting or we're coping in a way that's not crisis then the fire is not always lit under our butts to, to do things. But if you're listening and life is more like that, like start now, because then you have this raft also to help support you because those more challenging times come, they will come. It's inevitable if we're alive. And I love how you spoke of so tenderly, like thoughts, you know, how we get, I don't know how you said it, but really, you know, carried away from self capital S, with our thoughts and our emotions. And that's huge. It's something that the practice of chanting and yogic philosophy and really has gifted me this real understanding like, we don't have to believe our own thoughts. Like, what, how liberating is that? And that all emotions, you know, even big, huge ones, you know, will, as you said, pass. And I just feel like those are things to highlight because, yeah. like, I look at, you know, my kids and how we talk with our, my kids, and and I knew some of this stuff when I was young. But even the the young ones who are growing up with more and more of it, like it's just a part of them. Like, oh right, I'm having a big feeling right now, <laughs> but it's gonna go. And it's like so amazing, you know? It's like, yeah. And as adults, I feel like they're they're some of the biggest wisdom of this tradition interfacing with our thoughts, interfacing with our emotions, understanding they're fleeting and they're not really who we are. And I feel like that's what chanting reminds us. Definitely. Mm. So beautiful. Now I wanted to share a quote of yours that I love. You said, Uh you said, I know you said this one. Don't believe everything I say. (laughs) Even on your website, it's on your website. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure I feel pretty confident. As far as I'm concerned, The only thing we need to renounce is our own self-hatred and judging ourselves and our sense of unworthiness and our sense that we are not worthy of love. This is where we should start. If we could just work with that place a little bit, our whole quality of our lives would change.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a very personal statement. Uh, I do think it applies to just about everybody, but that's the way I see myself in a way, you know the pain that I have and the, the, the judgmental mind and the self-hatred and self-loathing that I've had to deal with in my life has been, been a big issue for me. It still is to some degree, no question about it, but it's not a big issue as often. Hmm. <laughs> you know, what happens with these, as you do these practices, what happens is you start spending less and less time in those heavy negative states of mind. Yes. You don't notice that as it's happening because the evaluator, the judger, is not functioning in those moments. The evaluator and the judger is functioning when you're feeling like shit, when you're in those heavy states. So when you're not in those heavy states, you're just here.
2: Mm.
1: And you're not being uh, rained on by those heavy clouds of of self-hatred and shame and fear and guilt and all that stuff and if you sometimes after some time you look back at your life and you recognize well you know i haven't been as depressed as often as i used to be you know it just goes away that's the fruit of these practices that's the result of doing these kinds of practices Mm. we we just spend less time giving ourselves a hard time
0: Mm. (laughs) that's so revelatory i love it yeah so so true And for people who, say, don't have a regular chanting practice or kirtan practice, like, where could people start? Or for people who do and and could ramp up a little bit, like, what do you recommend? Like, say, like, how do I start this? This sounds really, really interesting and calling to me.
1: You know, first of all, let's just say that it may not be uh, easy for a person to start singing out loud in an apartment building, you know, (laughs) before they go to work at six in the morning, you know, it's not going to work but that's not required you know what's required is that at least once or twice or three times during the day you just kind of push the hold button and just kind of chill for a few minutes and not try to be quiet not try to quiet the mind but just simply just oh you know just let the breath come in and go easy just release everything and just be there just quiet for a few minutes and then whoosh, the waves start coming again and and you can, I don't see, you know, I would, I would put on CDs of chanting and put the headphones on and just listen and sing along in your mind or not and allow, it's the sound of the name that is the seed that gets planted. It's the hearing the name that is the reason we chant. When, when we chant, we're making the noise and that allows us to hear the name with our ears as well as hear the name in our minds. So just expose yourself to the thing in whatever way makes sense. Get in the bathtub with a nice pair of headphones and, you know, rock out to Krishnadas in the bathtub. (laughs)
0: That's great. That's
1: practice. That would be practice.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, You don't have to go out and start a chanting group and buy a harmonium because all you'll do is you'll be dealing with your ego for a long time that way.
0: (laughs) That's no, such so, such such prudent and great advice. Thank you for that. The last thing I just have to ask you, because this energy and archetype is, is a big one in my household and family. You seem like, too, you are all about the archetype of the God named Hanuman. I chant the Hanuman Chalisa, yours, of course. <laughs> and we sit there and we, we try to move through it with your CD, with the harmoniums. We've got drums. We've got little moroccos <laughs> that we, we try to do it most Sunday mornings. I'm just wondering, you know, what this archetype really means to you. Could you describe it a little bit and this energy, this really living energy, a bit more in the way of your your own experience and, and why it would also represent something to the listeners themselves as well.
1: Well, Hanuman is uh, very important to me because Maharaji, my guru, Nim that Baba, they was considered to be actually a, an incarnation of Hanuman himself. I don't even know what that means, but I know how to say the words. So. <laughs> Hanuman is a being who is one with the universe, who is fully merged with God, with the universe, with reality. However, even though, even while he's fully merged, he's he's dedicated to help others remove obstacles in their path to finding themselves, so to speak. So... um, He's considered to be the remover of obstacles, the destroyer of calamities and suffering. He's a flow of grace that flows from the divine to us, from that ultimate reality that is everywhere to that little reflection of it, which is in our own hearts. And... um you can see it as outside yourself or you can see it as inside yourself you know you can the obstacles we have are our fear our greed our shame our self-hatred all that stuff our selfishness and when we bow to the energy of that oneness and the energy of cleaning out all that stuff we we begin to release those those things that are keeping us locked in this world in a, in a way that's not the way we want to be. You know, I spent such a huge part of my life in India physically and and involved with India. But I still see things very much from a Western point of view. So I would say that I see Hanuman as this presence this that you enter into, you know, this vast space in which we all live. And we just, we open into that. And in so doing, we leave our small self behind. That We leave our belief of separateness, that we're separate beings. That drops away. All these deities, so-called deities, I really see them as elder beings than we are. They've just been around a lot longer. They've done the work, you know, that we're still trying to do. So we can align ourselves with their energy. It's very positive energy. It's the ultimate positive energy. And we can align ourselves with that. And in so doing, it strengthens us. It strengthens our aspiration. It strengthens our abilities. And it gives us a, a real deep understanding of where we're going, of where we want to be.
2: Mm. And how
1: we want to be in the world. Because Hanuman, all he did was serve Ram all the time. In in the story of the Ramayana, which is the story of one of the so-called incarnations of Vishnu. It was a whole story. God took form as a human being in order to eradicate uh, the evil from the world. This big demon had taken over the whole world. So... In order to reestablish the Dharma, that being took form here on Earth. And the whole storyline is very beautiful. but in that story, Hanuman is the perfect servant. He's fully devoted to that being, Ram. and he helps Ram win the war and destroy all the bad guys and, and you know, bring back true goodness to the world. But there's a it's an inner story too. It's a macrocosm and a microcosm. So within us there is that divine place, the real love that lives within us, as who we are. But it's covered up with stuff, you know. And Hanuman is that flow that comes from that deepest place within us, that gradually removes all the stuff that we've we've covered up our our own light with. So through repeating the names of god those divine names and bowing to that love that we aspire to and that we already are all those obstacles are removed and we we do finally recognize our true self
0: Mm, so inspiring thank you for that oh that's like story time I'm sure our listeners are so lulled. You
1: know, but once again, let me just interrupt. Once again, yeah. for people who are just starting,
0: yeah.
1: don't pay attention. It doesn't make any difference. Just do the practice <laughs> and see how you feel and yeah. learn to trust yourself. That's the, that's the whole path. Yeah. Ultimately, the whole path is coming to the point where we actually trust ourselves yeah. and our own true feelings and we, we can distinguish what the deepest feeling is we can learn to trust ourselves and move forward based on what we ourselves experience not what other people tell us it's not important what's important is trusting our own hearts and finding our way ourselves because we have to do that
0: I mean, in the way of Hanuman, that's such a wisdom download. And he's, as you said, this like, you know, monkey God, and he lives among humans. So he is this energy of follow the rhythm of your own drama. What's that expression? You know, you really finding your own path and your own uniqueness. And as you said, trusting yourself is the path. And that's so, so profound and so important. And it seems so simple and like, yeah, trust myself, right? But to really do that, like you said, to really listen and be able to distinguish the deepest layer of one's emotions and one's experience it takes practice for sure. Mm, wow. Well, this this conversation really has been truly a, a satsang is the word that I, I know from my traditions. And satsang, my understanding is it means, sat means true and sang comes from sangha, meaning Community and often translated as associating with good people or being in the company of the truth. And for our listeners, being with your words, truly, I'm sure, has been so much that your words, both spoken and sung, truly have a superhero power like Hanuman (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) by osmosis. I really have always felt that osmotically. You really, really do, with your words and your music, deliver one right into the center of one's. Heart hub.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's all. I see it all as the the blessings of my guru. You know,
2: Mm -hmm. really, I do. Mm -hmm.
1: I think that's what I feel, and so, regardless of what everybody else thinks they feel, I think it's really Maharaji transmitting his love to anyone who wants it. I'm very blessed to be a part of that.
0: Well, that is a really. Like it's said in the yoga tradition, the the student is, you know, that moon that reflects the sunlight of the teacher. And so it's so so beautifully said and no doubt true. (laughs) Where can folks find out about you and your amazing work in this world? Your website is so chocked with resources. It's amazing, your website. So, yeah, Yeah. tell people,
1: please. Krishnadas.com. These days, while we are not touring, Every Thursday night at seven o'clock New York time, I sing. Uh, We do a two-hour kind of chanting and Q and A and stuff like that every Thursday. So sweet. And and some Saturdays we also do a uh, like a, a Zoom meeting with a bunch of people and where people can talk and ask questions and stuff like that. It's all up on the website. All the things we do.
0: Wonderful. So, so profound are your satsangs and and your meetings with people. So listeners who are really benefiting and enjoying this conversation, which I'm sure will be all, check those out because such profound experiences can come with coming together, especially during these times. and, And you do really by osmosis deliver such wisdom. Well, I want to punctuate this most inspiring and enlightening conversation, of course, with your blissful music, clearly. And I want to have our listeners listen a little more to some of your soothing, soothing balm.
2: Jai Sri Yeah
0: want to say thank you really thank you for your years of practice for really it's your practices that have bore the fruit that sweetened this episode and really that has offered a lot of nourishment to this world so thank you for your sadhana for your work
1: thank you very much yeah appreciate it (laughs) namaste namaste
0: thank you for taking these words in I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please write me a review on whichever platform you are listening. Also check out my exciting Patreon page at patreon.com slash modern mystic where I offer all sorts of uplifting yoga classes, meditation classes, and other amazing offerings from my guests on this podcast to all my incredible supporters. Even folks who donate at the $5 a month level are so appreciated as every cent helps this busy mama of three. Or check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can purchase yoga videos of all levels with me ranging from gentle yoga up through advanced asana and also meditation videos there. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives one breath at a time. Namaste.